Good morning, everyone. Today we're going to talk about the topic, think about creation. And if you turn that sound down just a little bit, I appreciate it. Uh, we've talked about thinking about truth and thinking about baptism and thinking about your destination. And today I want us to talk about thinking about creation. God is the wonderful creator of everything. Amen. Amen. When you think about creation, you think about praising and giving God glory. When Paul talked about God as creator and savior, he used this word indescribable. You think about the, astronom the astronomy of creation, it's indescribable. The botany of a God's creation is indescribable. The biology of God's creation is indescribable, isn't it? The chemistry, the cosmology of God's creation is indescribable. The design and the engineering of God's creation is indescribable. Even the insects, right? And the animals and everything about this world, the fish of the sea, all these things, the physics are indescribable. God's creation, when we think about it, will give praise and glory to God. I love the way God tells us to think about his creation when we think about it. We think about being done by the fingers of his hand. By the fingers of his hand. Um, I think of a finger painting when I think of that, don't you? Uh, finger painting. It's not by force or exertion or by violence. But God created this as a master finger painting. I think finger paintings are a thing of beauty, uh, except when my daughter decided to do it with her friend on my garage wall one day. <laughs> and then when they spilled the paint, they decided to do foot painting with it as well. That wasn't so pretty. But God's finger painting, the beauty that he's put here, design, it's not an accident. It's not by randomness. There's nothing controversial about creation. When you think about creation and put it in its proper perspective, God is the creator but God reveals himself through his creation and also through his word. I think it's very powerful and very significant that when God chooses to reveal himself through his word, what was the very first thing he talked about? The very first thing he talked about. The very first words, the very first verse in this revelation from God in Genesis 1 verse 1. This is the most important thing that God thought he should tell us above all else. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. That's priority. That's importance. Everything you need to know, God says. Everything is that I am the creator of all things. I create everything. You know... Obviously, the Bible doesn't tell us everything we would like to know about how God created it. But God tells us everything we need to know. Everything we need to know is right there. Who created the heaven and earth? God did. God created everything. It points to him first then as our creator. And when we believe that above all else, then we understand why we need him as our savior. And those things are linked together. That's why in Hebrews 11.3 it says that faith helps you to understand that God created the whole world by his command. We think about reasoning and we talk about data and facts and information and knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And that, that's a way of knowing. 
But God says, don't leave out a very important way to know, that's by faith. Faith is also a very important way that you know. And this is what God is telling us. By faith, you understand that this whole world was created by the command of God, the command of God. This is by faith. You know, there's two types of mysteries in life. There's the ones that can be discovered by reasoning and rationale, or you stumble upon it, you, you, you search, you stumble, and you find it. And there's the other mysteries in life that have to be revealed. Unless it's uncovered, unless it's revealed, you can never find it. God in His Word, when He reveals Himself to us, uses His Word to, to say, look around you, I'm revealing myself to you in all this creation. Think about creation, think of me. Think of creation, think about what my Word says about it. Put your faith in God and the belief that by His spoken Word and command, everything came into existence. So God begins His revealed Word with us thinking about creation. And then you come to the very last book of the New Testament, another book revealed by God, the book of Revelation. And there are many scriptures throughout Revelation that have us think about creation. I'm thinking about Revelation 10, verse 6. He's the one who made the skies. He's the one who made the earth. He's the one who made the sea. See, God made the earth. God made the sky. God made the seas. But notice how detailed God is in his design. He just didn't make the skies. He made all that is in the skies. He just didn't make the earth. He made all that is in the earth. He just didn't make the sea. He made everything that is in the sea. He wasn't content just to give us the big picture. Hey, sky, I'm making sky now. By nature, you fill it any way you want to. Or, hey, I'm making the earth, but earth, you just kind of by nature fill it in any way you want to. Or make the, the waters and say, okay, I made the waters, now you fill it in any way you want to. It can be randomness, accent, whatever. No. He says, he made the sky, notice the word, and all that is in them. He made the earth, there's your word again, and what? All that is in it. He made the sea and all that is in it. When you think about creation, you think about God. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord and give glory for God. You consider all those little details, all those little designs. I think about that snarly little burr, those cuckleburrs. You run into those? Those things are nasty. I mean, I've had them on my hair, on my clothes, on my skin, my, all throughout my life. I had a collie that loved to go outdoors and go out in the open field behind our house and come back covered in those things. That is an awful job. How many of you have ever had experience with these things? I don't know why God created those. That's on my list to ask him when I get there. But I do know something about this little thing called the burr that's just incredible. It has two seeds in it. And that little burr, there's two seeds. And the first year, the first seed produces another burr. And then in the second year, the second seed produces another burr plant. That's amazing, isn't it? Where do you hear this? 
if the first birth seed does not produce, the second birth seed automatically produces for that year. You talk about incredible design, that little nasty little thing that sticks me and makes a mess of my dog. God designed in such a way you can never get rid of it. <laughs> it's not ever going to have a bad year, you know? But he's the one who made the skies, all that's in it, earth, all that's in it. See all that's in it, including those nasty little birds. And then I look at this last revelation from God in chapter 14, 6 through 7. What are we told to do? Fear God and give him what? Glory. Because the hour of judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. We're at the beginning of time in Genesis and told that God's creator. We're at the end of time here in Revelation. And judgment is coming and saying, what do you do in facing judgment? This world as we know, it's about to pass. Fear God. Worship him. Why? Because he made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. I think about our planet, 75% water, 25% land. And all the water sources that are there, and, and all the incredible things I don't understand of how water is here, and there's water in the sky, and how the water from here gets to the sky, and in the clouds, the wind, and the air, and then that rain drops back down and returns to the water. It's amazing, isn't it? How God does that, how he takes care of this little, small percentage of land by all the water that's there, but he does exactly right. And Revelation says, when you think about creation, fear him, worship him. You see, there's something that God wants us to understand when we think about creation. It's in Romans 1. And in Romans chapter 1, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul says, Take in all the beauty of God's creation. Take it all in. When you look at it, just say, God did this. God did this. From the very first human, Adam and Eve, to us today, we look up in the sky and we wonder, don't we? We look at it. How is this all done? Where did this all come from? God did this. It's a wonder, isn't it? And from the beginning of recorded history of humans to ourselves today, we're to open our eyes Paul says, and study our world. And when you do, you will plainly see and you will clearly understand and you will come to the conclusion that there's no other answer except God. When you think about creation, you think that this was created by, Paul says, a divine nature, the quality of God. This is not an impersonal force that did this by accident or random, but any other thing. This personal, divine God created us for a reason. It's not a series of natural events, but by the eternal power of God, God created all of this. I think there's a great verse you may want to write down. In fact, it's an entire chapter of Isaiah chapter 45. This is a great chapter that talks about the importance of thinking about creation and salvation and coming back into relationship with God. Historically, chapter 45 is about Israel that has abandoned the one true God for the false and fake gods of the time. 
and God is calling them back to repentance, he's also telling them what he will do because they will not repent. But in the midst of that, he wants them to think about their sin, about their need to repent, about their need to serve the one and only true God and to magnify him and give him praise and glory. So he points to creation. I'm not going to read the entire chapter for you, but I'm going to read enough verses to give you the idea, and I hope it will whet your appetite. So you'll dig into There's even more in 45 than what I'm telling you. But here it is in 6 through 7 of 45. From the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people know that there is none beside me. I'm the Lord and there's no other. I form the light and create the darkness. Who causes the sun to rise and the sun to set? God. When you look at the sun rising, the sun setting, you think of God. There's no other one like him. Who formed the light? The God who is light. Who created the darkness? God created the darkness. He created everything. And so he says in verse 9 about this relationship of God to us as the potter and we're the clay. And also he's speaking about the universe. God is the potter in this universe, is his clay that he shapes with his fingers. And this is why he says, does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? How many of us really thought this week we were in control? We got this all together. Got this all figured out. Man, when we start thinking that way, we get humble pretty quick, don't we? Who's really in charge of this world? Who's really in charge of life? Who's really in control? Are, are humans really? Do we really make things that really change this world that's lasting? Are we really the ones who are the potter with the clay in our hands? Have this all figured out? God says, when you think about creation and you see me as the potter and you're the clay, you will be filled with great humility and reverence for him. In verse 12, it says, it is I who made the earth and created humans on it. See, it's very important. Praise God. He made the earth. He made you. Hear that? He made you. He made the earth. What did he make you to do? To praise, to glorify him, to magnify him, to serve him as the Lord God Almighty. To live your life for him every day. In verse 12, it continues. My own hands, there's that word again, hands, stretched out the heavens... I marshaled their starry host. Once again, see the fingers of God putting those stars into place. You look up in the night sky and you marvel and you wonder and you see how God has put all these things into the right place. And then in summary, verse 18, to draw us to him, he says this, He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. When you think about creation, you think about God. You think about his salvation he offers you. It causes you to repent when you think more about this world than you do of him. It creates great humility and reverence. And then you turn to Psalm 19 and it's all about glorifying God. This is a great little psalm, two parts, about how God reveals himself. In verses 1 through 6, God reveals himself through the universe. And then 7 through 14, he reveals himself through the word. Those two things. 
And so we're going to look at the first few verses, verse 1 through 4 of Psalm 19, and notice how we're to give glory. The heavens do what? See, they declare it, don't they? They're singing it out, the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his what? There it is again. His hands. It's not hard labor. It's not exertion. Didn't wear him out. He did it. Work of his hands is beauty. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Daytime beauty. Look around today when you're outside. Look at the beauty. Hear the speech, the wind, the sounds. Better yet, even when you're in solitude in nature that God has created, it speaks to you without words, doesn't it? Refreshes, revives you, restores you, encourages you. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Look up in the night sky and wonder. All those stars set in place, the moon, the planets. God named the stars, it tells us in Job, and not only named the stars, he put the constellations, go back to the other slide, put the constellations in place. And through the story of the constellations tells us the story of redemption when you see those constellations in the sky. They, they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard, yet their voice goes out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Anywhere you go, at any time on this planet, daytime or night, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. What are we to do with that? To glorify Him. To glorify Him. Now, Job was certainly going through some incredible times that seem absolutely senseless to him, and he's trying to make sense of that senselessness. So he talks to his friends about it in Job chapter 12, 7 through 10. He says, ask the animals, they will teach you. Or the birds of the sky, they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will teach you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. Now, you can't talk to the animals. I know you talk to your cat and your dogs and your fish, okay? And if they talk back, let's talk later, okay? <laughs> you know, they seem to know us better than other people, right, sometimes? Animals can't talk, but you can study them. You can observe them. You can love them. And you draw closer to God because of them. Amen? Fish can't talk, but we can learn things from fish. The birds of the air, you can study them and read about them and, and observe them, and it will lead you to a closer and stronger faith in God. That's what Job says. Look to the animals. Look to the earth. Look to how God made humans. Look to how God made the fish. And what you'll see when you think about creation is who God is. Job continues, which of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? See, the animals know. The fish know. Birds know. In his hand is the life of every creature. And here you are, Job. And here you are, Job's friends, and here you are today. And the breath of whom? All humanity, created by God. You want proof that God is creator? Job says, watch the animals. Look at the birds. Look at the fish. Proof that you need. You'll find the evidence that you need, that the hand of God is the life of every creature and breath of all humanity. So Job said, let's look at that. So let's look at it for just a moment. I'm going to give you three examples. 
from fish, all right, from a bird, and from an insect. Now here, here, go back, here's the fish, okay? Did you know there's a real little fish that is so small you would not even probably ever be aware of it? But it has an eyeball that's incredible. It has bifocals built in. It is a delicacy for the birds that love to bomb into the water and grab it. But this fish has bifocals that allow it to see 30% further than you can imagine. It also has the ability to see through and compensate for light's refraction in the water. It can see the bird before many times a bird can see him and will dive to escape from the bird. And yet inside the eye of that eyeball of that fish, it can see the smallest little things it eats that we can't see hardly with the human eye. But because the bifocal can see far and near very accurately. Isn't that a thing of beauty? We have spent how many hundreds of dollars every year do we spend on our bifocals? <laughs> to get them just right. And God from day one, this little fish you'll never ever pay attention to or even know any more about has had that incredible eyesight from day one. Divers will go on Amazon to buy those wonderful goggles so they can have that compensate for the, the light refraction in the water. These guys have it built in. See, isn't that wonderful? And then let's think about the birds. I, I think about the American dipper bird. It's a small little bird that lives in the mountains by the mountain streams. It's in areas where there's swift water. A lot of splashing where the water is hitting the rocks. The American dipper bird just floats on top of the water. Doesn't take any effort, just floats there. And then suddenly through a muscle apparatus inside it, it will sink to the bottom of the riverbed. Walk on the riverbed and eat its food off the riverbed. Then walk back up to the shoreline, shake itself off, start the process all over again and float back on the water. There's a submarine for you right there, right? <laughs> a little bird. A little American dipper bird. And it reminds me of what Jesus says. You know, God cares how his birds are fed. He makes provisions for them. Don't you know how much he cares about you? You're more valuable than an American dipper bird. Think about creation. Job said, when you look, when you look at the, at the birds and you see it, Wow. Let's see that God has done all these things. And then let's look at an insect. So here's the question. Do bees have knees? <laughs> and if bees have knees, why do bees have knees? Right? Not only do bees have knees, bees have brushes on their knees. I don't know if <laughs> There are brushes on the knees, bee, on the bee's knees. I knew I was going to be wrong. <laughs> so on the bee's knees, there are bee brushes. Why? So these bees are designed by God to go into these pollen-filled blossoms. They crawl into them, and the pollen sometimes is so thick that it gets into their breathing area apparatus. And literally begins to suffocate them. So when they come out of the pollen, 
the bees are needing to breathe, and without the bee brushes on the bee's knees, the bee's breathing area wouldn't work. I got it. <laughs> Worked on that for 30 minutes now, but anyway. So it, it's interesting because then they use the brushes on the knees that then wipe away the pollen and the, breathe, and the bee can breathe to go to the next pollen. That's not random. That's not an accident. That's not adaptation. This is from the very beginning when God first created the first bee. They had to do that, didn't they? Amazing. Absolutely astounding. Wow. Just in an insect, a bee. God has delicately and intricately designed brushes on bees' knees to solve the suffocation problem. And he does it in a very marvelous way. So when you think about creation, you think about God. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. So I want us to stand. And we're going to end this lesson today and start off our new week by praising God from Psalm 145. This is a little bit longer than what I normally read, but this is a great, great psalm to think about creation. So just let me have your attention for just a few more minutes. And here God says, when you think about creation, heavens praise me. When you think about everything that's on the earth, praise me. And more importantly, all you that I've made, praise me. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his heavenly host. Praise him sun, moon. Praise him all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at His command they were created, and He established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away, and now He tells the earth to praise Him. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail and snow and clouds. Stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds. And now, people, let's praise him. Kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. Let his name be what? Exalted, his splendor is above the earth and the heavens. Praise the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, we always end our Sunday morning with an invitation to come to our great and mighty God. If you would love to be baptized in the name of Christ or place membership or just simply have Ken, one of our elders, pray with you, you can get with him afterwards or you can meet him right now on this front bench as we sing this next song, David.